This is Interface, a podcast from SWGFL, one third of the UK Safer Internet Centre. Welcome everybody, it's good to have you with us. With you for this episode, it is me, Ailish Hunter, and I'm here with Jess Macbeth. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good. This one's a fascinating Mm -hmm. one, right, isn't it? We are talking AI in education with SWGFL's own Ken Korish. It will reduce workload across the education sector to free up teachers' time, to allow them to focus on excellent teaching. And that also includes, and I know this is quite contentious, but marking children's work. A child does a piece of writing for you, you take a photograph of that piece of writing, you upload it into ChatGPT, you get ChatGPT to analyze it, transcribe it, mark it, identify all the areas where they've made mistakes, where there are good things. Ken is Deputy CEO and Online Safety Director at Southwest Good for Learning. He knows his staff, right? So this is a fascinating chat and we cover a lot of ground. AI is going to be a big part of all of our lives. As we'll hear, there are some reasons to worry about that, but there's also some reasons to welcome it. To kick things off, I did have an important question I wanted to ask Ken. What are the possibilities AI is going to take over the world? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) Easy answer to your question, Ailish, is uh, yes, it will. Really? Yeah, absolutely. But like in the AI, like like the iRobot? No, no, not in that way. It it is going to substantially change the way we engage with technology. It's going to substantially empower those who use AI to be able to improve their life chances, to be able to improve their agency, to amplify their voice, certainly. And, you know, I've been around education, well, I've been around technology for an awfully long time, you know, all the way through sort of the major you know, first computers that landed in schools and then all of a sudden we got connectivity and we got more faster and cheaper hardware. You know, we were connected to, first of all, the World Wide Web and then the Internet. I've never seen a technology accelerate so quickly in terms of its capabilities than this. And I I, I think it is going to have significant and profound impacts on society and the way the world functions so is it going to take over the world it will be a significant part of our lives i think certainly in the coming decade it will literally redefine the way we engage with technology that sounds slightly terrifying but also promising it sounds quite like encouraging at the same time what actually is ai if you had to just give it like the most simple explanation that i could understand well ai currently at the moment isn't intelligence it is artificial in its current form the uh, you know machine learning has been around for an awfully long time you know 10 15 years in its various guises but actually the big point at which it suddenly garnered interest from the public was in november of 2022 all of a sudden all of these things that had been operated and accessed by the elite and by the elite i'm talking about researchers and academics and and those who are in suddenly became democratized and was pushed out to us common people to go and use and that's when chat, chat yeah i know 
that's when ChatGPT emerged. And, and, oh, and, okay. and, and ChatGPT, so, you know, GPT is, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And all it is is a large language model. The first transformer model appeared back in 2017 by a computer scientist called Ashish Vaswani in a paper called Attention is All You Need. And, and, and this transformer model was really significantly different than anything we'd seen before because uh, it was really good at predicting sequences of text. That's what it did. It was really good. And when you began to train it, these are called large language models because they're, they're trained across a huge amount of information, 300 billion words for ChatGPT. And pre-trained means it just went out over the internet and grabbed a whole load of knowledge that is online and then used that to be able to build its predictive capabilities. So what it's doing when we ask you questions is it's just being a really good model for predicting which is the next word in a sentence, which actually is what we're doing now. In our conversation, in our heads, we're just predicting what the next word is and then the whole context of sentence. And that's what chat GPT or generative pre-trained transformers do. And of course, they landed in front of us. And all of a sudden, we were writing poems and we were writing lyrics and, you know. So I've just graduated uni and uh, my last year of uni, all I heard about was chat GPT. And it was slightly scary because... Obviously, people were using it to write entire essays, and I didn't know about this. And I was like, that's not exactly fair. But also, our turn it in that scanned our essays couldn't keep up. It could scan for plagiarism, but if you put a plagiarized essay into ChatGPT, it could reword it, and it wasn't plagiarized anymore. And it was all a bit, so who's actually writing essays and who's getting through uni on a skive? So I love this conversation. I've had a lot of conversations around this. It's a continuum. So at the top end of the continuum, you've got the, uh, the all-nighters who just before the submission date will go onto ChatGPT, throw it in, and whatever they get out, they'll submit. And then at the bottom end of that continuum, you've got a sort of equally as ineffective way of learning, which is not using any references or anything online at all, but just pouring the stuff out of your head from what you think you know. And, uh, you know, Birch called that unconscious incompetence. Somewhere between those two extremes are where we want people to be using artificial intelligence. I would say it's really useful tool for being able to help you structure and organize something. It's a really useful tool for being able to find relevant pieces of research that you mightn't have found just through a Google search. It's a really good tool for you to be able to generate paragraphs and then shape them yourself and argue with them and disagree with them. Because, you know, the stuff that GPT brings back, it hallucinates very often. It's called a, a confident BS. It will just make up stuff sometimes that it thinks it knows, you know, and that sort of criticality is a really important part of the learning process. So, you know, one end, you've got the black box, you've got the other end that doesn't use it at all. Somewhere in the middle, I think AI fits and empowers you to become much more of a thinker in the process than just a plagiarizer. I think that's really important. Yeah, a lot of my friends at uni, when I've spoken to them that are still in uni, they'll maybe plug in an article and ask it to summarise it and it's just a quicker way of getting through some readings. That's how they use it, which they think is more like 
conscious. They're like, I'm not using it to write my entire piece, but just like summarizing articles or paraphrasing a different way because they think if I don't use it, I'm at a disadvantage now because everyone else is. They will be at a disadvantage if they're not using AI. Anybody over the next three to five years is going to be at a significant disadvantage if they're not using AI. And also too, and it's, this has already begun to happen. Think about how you research stuff currently and you learn currently online. You go to Google. Google's a verb, isn't it? I went and Googled it. And think about what you do. You choose a number of different search terms. You put them into a search engine. That engine goes out across the internet, brings you back a set of results that you then have to filter through and craft through to be able to go and find the thing that you want. And that means that Google is becoming, uh, has always been, a place that goes and finds where content is hosted. Does that make sense? It goes out and finds stuff for you that somebody else has produced and it's gone back. Well, think about this. AI, and particularly things like ChatGPT, but not just exclusively, doesn't do that. It creates assisted live content on the fly. So if you want a picture, a diagram of a certain chemical reaction, Rather than going to a place, Googling it, and go and find what somebody else has done, you just ask AI to create it for you. Okay. <laughs> you look like your brain is exploding. Oh, is that, you just... Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's That's take just the... slightly terrifying. <laughs> so let's take this to its logical conclusion. If that's how we're going to be able to access content in the future, we stop becoming curators and we start becoming creators and that means sites that host content will disappear it's already beginning to happen to organizations like getty images who have had quite a tight control over the supply and provision of copyrighted images well what if you never had to go and access another image online but just created what you needed there right in front of you on the fly and you could tweak it with the prompt to get exactly what you wanted. And you wouldn't have to worry about copyright per se to be able to get that image or to give, because you will have created, you along with the AI will have created it. Th there's an argument that says it scraped all this information from the internet, first of all, anyway. So there is, there is a lot of argument and discussion around the IP that was used to be able to train the the, the AI model. But but you see where we're going. And that also means, too, that we will see the death of the app. You won't need apps anymore. What, why go and get a particular app that could, that does one specific thing, like image editing, if you can edit the images directly from prompts within the device itself. So the app stores will go. YouTube may very well go. Pornhub why would you go to a place that hosts adult content if you can create those videos yourself from prompts on the fly? So, and, and, and therefore, it's logical conclusion, software will eventually go. Why do you need to have Excel when you can analyze direct data directly through the tool? So, comes comes back to your original question, is AI going to take over the world? Yeah. But it is, but it is positive, right? Oh, yes, yeah, I, yeah. I think so. It gives you more control. It's a lot more control, and this idea of personalized, personalized learning. You know, people being able to interact with technology in a way that works for them. That aspect, and we're starting to see this idea of creating your own um, 
AIs, for example, that, you know, are using your own data that are going to work for you. The potential is amazing. Like we can talk about all that big picture stuff, right? What does it mean for educators now? So in all of these adoption, you know, you see these things, adoption curves when a new technology breaks. And at first of all, it starts off fairly level and then it accelerates exponentially and then it plateaus off once that's been embedded in general use. I think we're at the one of the steepest, so the first part, the steepest part of that curve. So at the moment, the whole environment's very disparate. If you go online and looking for the the single AI tool that's going to change the way that you work. It's it's very difficult at the moment because there's lots and lots of different online services. It's probably one of the reasons why ChatGPT has sort of stood out over everyone else because they get market share from the, the off and Microsoft supported them. I think in terms of schools, there are two huge benefits and a number of different risks. If we look at who's driving AI use at the moment, it is 16 plus not children at the moment. So the the headline is from Ofcom's uh, online nation report, which was literally out just a few weeks ago. It's Generation Z who are driving the adoption of this. So people, Ailish like yourself, who are academics and in colleges, and uh, they're the ones who are adopting the sort of really high-level uh, AIs like ChatGPT. Children, not so much. So we've always assumed that technology is, first of all, grasped by kids and then we all have to play catch up. The only real area where they are using it is when that AI is folded into the things that they already use. So my AI in Snapchat, uh, in <gasps> Sna- uh, Snap. That's so weird. Yeah, I refuse that's to where use people are using it. Because yeah. when it first came out, everyone was like texting this like, AI bot on their Snapchat and then it started getting a bit weird because they were like trying to trick it into like talking like a person and I was like I don't like this at all I don't like messing with this because I don't know what it's like I don't know if it's like something about my data I don't know enough about all this stuff to be like is it just following me around now or is this like infiltrating my phone which I know it's not but that was just the it it was the extreme I was just like I've never seen this before and now I can't get rid of it it's on everyone's snapchat once you update you can't get rid you just not use it well you can get rid of it if you pay for the service (sighs) So, so it's, it's old school commercial platforms yeah. meeting new school stuff and it won't remain like that. But the chatbots are coming, right? I mean, I mean, Meta's got, got its chatbots kind of due to launch, Instagram, all the rest of it. They're just coming to everything. They will, but I'd come back to this point is that why would you need specific social platforms if the capability is built within the AI that you've already got? Because at the moment, you know, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll come back to your question about education because mm. because that's where the landscape is currently at the moment. And teachers are beginning to see some of the benefits from this. I mean, if you look at the advice and guidance that literally came out last month from uh, the DFE, that they do see opportunities for the education sector because this stuff's really good at analyzing structure and writing text so it's really good at creating new resources and new content it will reduce workload across the education sector if to free up teachers time to allow them to focus on excellent teaching because you'll you'll know you know it's been estimated it will give you a day and a half back in terms of some of the grunt stuff that you're asked to do as a teacher and that also includes and I know this is quite contentious, but marking children's work. Really? Yeah, and, and this is a move towards what could 
in in essence be true personalized learning we've all been struggling with this in education for a long time problem is we've got classes of 30 35 kids and how you can deliver a personalized ex- ex- learning experience for 35 separate children i'm sure teachers do it but it goes beyond my understanding how they have the time capacity and and wherewithal to be able to sustain that but they do they're really good at it ai ai has this amazing potential so if you think in terms of a child does a piece of writing for you you take a photograph of that piece of writing you upload it into chat gpt you get chat to uh, analyze it transcribe it mark it identify all the areas where they've made mistakes where there are good things then that feeds it back and you can put that against a marking scheme but then you can ask chat gpt well I highlight the main areas for me where this child needs to improve to be able to move on to the next level. It will go back and do that and identify those. And then you ask it, now create me some exercises or some content or some challenges to be able to do that for a child. That's so And smart. that's from a photograph. I mean, even theoretically, you could take a photograph of a child's piece of work and have the AI annotate it like you would a teacher with a red pen or a purple biro or a green biro you can replicate that really quickly and easily now at the moment there's a lot of pushback against this saying well actually it's not as good as a a real teacher And, and you know probably right but if you look at reducing the grunt around this you know teachers have less stress though have more effort and time teachers to put into their have, teaching. Yeah. Teachers have, of, oh, yeah. and personalised learning. And also, teachers are really good at adopting and using technology to support teaching and learning. We've got a long history of that within the UK. And uh, UK educators are really good at this. I just think this is the next step. The problem is, Ailish, it's not there yet. So all these different bits and pieces mm. that we're talking about mm. are there in little chunks around the place when it's all drawn into one place then it becomes achievable but we're not quite there yet because the curve is still accelerating in terms of teacher training for example and what the skills are the key skills that you need you know to be a teacher may look different right significantly different yeah certainly i have the you know i think they have changed significantly over the last 20 years so what mm. we you know how we we're training teachers though but they're to come back to your point there are issues around the use of ai in schools not least of which currently ai is on big open public platforms so data protection is difficult to uh, to use it effectively you need to be critically aware of what its output is um there's that thing around ip so who owns the ip of the stuff that you've made during you know is it yours if you've used ai to be able to do it what about the IP that was, you know, intellectual property, I mean, copyright of it. I so, wonder so, about the qualities aspect of it as well. I so, mean, I'm imagining there's going to be private schools putting a lot of money into this, the, the learning, getting the right kind of access to stuff, thinking about how kids can best exploit the potential for the personalised learning. You know, your, your, your chatbot as your tutor, all yeah, this stuff. I think it's um, going to and be whether less... I think it's going to be less about money and more about where the expertise sits. Mm, If you've got mm -hmm. some early adopters in a school, they're going to be able to drive this, I think. This is Interface, a podcast for educators about digital and online life from Southwest Grid for Learning. We'll be back soon with SWGFL's Ken Korish for more on AI and how it impacts teachers and educators. 
The Interface Podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is Posh, the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free. Free is always good, and you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in, listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official. Also, we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the Interface series that you'll find in your podcast player. Welcome back. This is Ailish Hunter talking all things AI and education with our guest for today, SWGFL Deputy CEO Ken Korsh and online safety consultant Jess Macbeth. What's the starting point then? You're an educator, you know, you listen to the podcast, yeah. you're driving in the car and you're like, okay, I need to think about my future career and I need to think about what skills I'm actually supporting children in my class to achieve. Like, where do I start? Great question. And at the moment, you know, everyone will say, well, ChatGPT, that's okay. That's a good start. But remember, Microsoft have invested a lot of money into ChatGPT and they've already begun to fold it into some of the things that we all use. So um, if you've got a Microsoft account and use Bing, uh, essentially elements of ChatGPT are already available through Bing. And the big advantage for schools in this is that if you've got an Office 365 account, your information stays within that account, within Bing. So if you go and use ChatGPT, to be honest, ChatGPT are using that data. They're a big commercial service, even the free version, you know. They're using data to be able to further train stuff. And you might come across a few issues around data protection and putting information up on a big open platform. But I think the one in Bing is very different. So, you know, you can create images and you can create whole screens of text using the chatbot that is currently built into the Bing search engine uh, using Microsoft Edge. And that is about as secure as you can get currently at the moment. If you're on a Google system, so G Suite or Google Classroom, then Google have their own version of AI, which is Bard. So you might want to go and use Bard within, again, a closed environment. I think they're the really good places to start because you've got a safe sandbox to mess around in to go and see how you can make it work for you. It's not as fully functional as a full uh, premium chat GPT account, which costs around £18, £17, £18 a month. Um, but if you are interested in being able to, to, to use it sort of early on, then having your own chat GPT account, paid for account, will be critical to go and mess around with. Just remember, don't put anything up there that's contentious or breaks the law or contravenes the Data Protection Act as well. 
Yeah, I was, I was going to ask actually right about policies. Well, you, do you know, so before you shape policy, you need to understand the nature of the beast. So some of the advice is that there, in every school, there are going to be people who are really interested in this stuff and will be your early adopters and they'll be your sandpit to be able to play around ever as it been thus with, with, with how technology is developed. At some point, you are going to need, though, a policy to be able to over oversee the use of it. Again, there aren't any template policies out there other than the ones that other schools use. So there's no right information about this because this thing keeps leapfrogging and accelerating. And as soon as you write a policy, the technology's moved on and it incorporates something else. So yes, policy will be important, but play, stand back, learn, and then begin to implement in different places within the school and start with a stable, secure platform like the ones I've mentioned. So Ken, you talk about how everything's going at light speed. Where does it go in the future and when do you think it will hit its peak? Because you said we're on the we're on the curve right now. Hmm. I don't know when the plateau will be, but it'll be quite rapid. So the peak would be when AI achieves what we call AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. So that is when does AI become as smart as the smartest person on the planet? And that's going to, we think that's going to be certainly within three years, if not sooner. So we better get on board with it now. Well, I, well, I think so. It's out there in terms of conjecture of OpenAI having developed something called QSTAR, which is a new large language model that trains and refines itself and can also do maths. That's a huge leap. It does maths. At the moment, only like lower grade maths might mm. be, but it does maths. And that's seen as a huge leap towards models that are not pre-trained, but self-trained and talk to other models for confirmation of quality insurance and training. That's, for me, quite scary. So, you know, so some of the big changes will be, we'll move from these big public online platforms to closed so ai will be will be integrated into what you do particularly into your device so they're talking about developing ai chips now rather than you have to go online or download you know a large language model it will be built into the device that will be a significant step as well and that's going to be in the next couple of years yeah certainly the Great. chips are already being developed and it's that idea of neural networks so they function in a similar way that the neurons do in nervous systems but again you know i I still come back to this point look it is positive it's positive Mm. about this because all the other stuff we've done around online safety and regulating technology has been done years after the technology is developed we're thinking about these things as the technology is developing and that gives us a better chance than what we've done in the past you know trying to bolt on things to stuff that's already been uh, embedded in society now we have the chance to be able to regulate this difficult so to regulate individual devices but. yeah so it shouldn't be seen as so much as like a scary thing but more of like a building block or a tool to help it's, it's part of our road that we're on now mm-hmm. and whether you want that road to be the road we're on doesn't matter you've got to put your walking boots on and navigate that road because i think all of us in some way, shape or form 
we'll be engaging with it, probably already have, but we'll be engaging with AI as part of our engagement with technology. It will impact on us professionally, so in the jobs that we have. It will definitely impact on us socially and as part of our leisure as well. And um, it's really important to understand it not only from a technical point of view, but from a cultural point of view, because as soon as you begin to understand it, you begin to have more control over it. Okay. So education surrounding, surrounding AI is... Always. Okay. And I just want to mention one last thing that you might want to consider is that, so when we talk about the safety of children and young people, we've always in the past tried to protect them from things that they see online so content you know all of our filtering systems in schools and the way we filter and you know you probably had filtering at uni as well in terms of you can't have access to everything Mm. i think some of the biggest risks are not going to be about children being exposed to content that ai has created but we're also going to have to consider children's ability to create inappropriate or illegal content through the use of AI. You know, we said before, why would you go to Pornhub if you can go and create those sexual images yourself on the device? And that's going to be a big step change for us. You know, not so much worried, well, not so much worried about what children see, but actually what they have the ability to create. So we've already begun to see this. Our colleagues in the Internet Watch Foundation in the UK Safer Internet Centre published a quite influential report a research report two weeks ago that began to see the first inklings of young people who are using AI to digitally unclothe and sexualize their friends using images. That's something we weren't really prepared for. Yeah, I think it's like the last thing you'd think of. Everyone thinks it's... I think I think of it in the educational sense. Everyone just uses AI for that. I'd never have actually expected it to be used in that way but of course mm. there's always someone who's gonna use yeah. it for the wrong reasons they're always bad actors mm-hmm. in this stuff the other angle for this is the ability to to sexualize an existing image and the question about schools um, and establishments that publish photos of children yeah of course so you know think of every beginning of september when parents put their kids in their school uniform outside the front door looking all proud and ready to go off and that is going to have an impact on the way we share content socially you know most of us think think of it as fairly uh, innocuous to put a picture of us on holiday or you know to show us out with friends having a meal it's been a lovely and and self-affirming and social components of how we use social media and yet all of a sudden if those if those images can be taken and readapted into sexualized images that that means we need to be a little bit more wary around how we represent ourselves online what we share what we post and that's a big step change yeah, and it's the, it's the realism of the imagery and how quickly it can be created. Yeah, yeah, there, there is a vulnerability. Yeah, there's definitely a vulnerability around that. You know, in the light of what we knew, we saw from this IWF report, this unclothing AI and, and the way those images were sexualized. So we need to understand that under UK law, 
the creation of those images, even though no child was specifically physically harmed, are illegal. They're classed as image, uh, child sexual abuse material. Will there be some sort of software in place for when you are using things like ChatGPT that will recognise if someone's trying to alter an image like that? Will there be something there to catch people out? So that's, that's a great question. Mm. So um, hard to do. If they can't cl- catch a plagiarized essay <laughs> yeah. from on, on software, the, you know, yeah. on plagiarism software, it becomes even more difficult within within images. So, one of the things I've seen recently that's given me hope around this is uh, Sony have just released some a piece of technology within their cameras that uh, authenticates an image as it's being taken. So it watermarks it digitally they call hashes the image digitally as it's being taken so that you can source and know what the original image was and and this has been backed up by the associated press because they want to make sure that any images that appear in media are authenticated and can be authenticated back to when they were taken so it's hashed and then stored in a large online database hashing is like a sort of digital encoding so that image can be picked up so then the hash will always be on that image. And if it were altered, you could take it back to what the actual image looked like. You could see that the image was authenticated. And that, that only exists in Sony professional cameras at the moment. But what if that what if that technology was rolled out to every single mobile device and camera in a mobile device that you could you could authenticate an image as it was being taken and identify it and then any additional changes to it could be tracked back from from a central database i mean that's one thing ai is really good at is finding those correlations and being able to track them back so ai is a double-edged sword you know ai itself can help creates a problem but you can also use ai to be a help ameliorate that problem as well so lovely Okay, that makes you feel a bit better about it now. Yeah. <laughs> There's good people too, as well as bad yeah, people operating within AI. So that conversation has been completely fascinating, Ken, but there's so much there to think about. So if there was one thing, right, somebody listening, one thing for them to take away from everything we've chatted through, what would it be? Engage with this technology. Find routes in which it can be supportive for the things that you do. Play with it. Learn from it and then look at ways that you can implement it within your teaching and learning. Fabulous. And we've obviously got resources as well, haven't we, on the Southwest Grid website? We do. Yeah, we do. Thanks for mentioning that. We have uh, our AI hub as well, and we write uh, articles around AI. We also have some superb first AI-based lessons that we've developed in uh, alongside a partnership with a regional organized crime unit, which you can find those free downloads on the uh, uh, artificial intelligence hub on swgfl.org.uk. Brilliant. Well, it has been, hasn't it, Ailish? Wowzer, fascinating, jaw-dropping. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ken. You're welcome. Huge thanks to Ken Korish for a fascinating chat. A lot to think about there, Ailish. What are the main things that we should take away from that, do you think? Um, I think, for me personally, it was mainly just how rapidly evolving AI is. It is going to be everywhere. It's something we need to welcome and get used to in a way that it's just such a 
I don't know how to say it. Just such an important part of our lives now, and it's only going to get more important. I know it was like he was totally like, do it. Like it was like use it or lose yeah. it, wasn't it? It was like it was. If you still want to have a job in five yeah, years. If, yeah, exactly. And it's going to be impacting so many <laughs> aspects of work and jobs, and that it's something we really shouldn't be fearing as much. Like me, we need to start welcoming it and seeing it as a positive thing. Yeah, and just get stuck in. That was his mm. thing, wasn't it? It was just like, just just go start somewhere. So that's your thing for today, people. Wherever you are, go home and go and download ChatGPT or something. Get started. Yeah, just start dabbling in your AI research. Yeah, totally. I was thinking about... It got me thinking about what, what are the skills that kids need? What, what do we need in future? And it's this idea of change Mm -hmm. was the big thing that came for me actually not so much the technology itself but the way he was talking about change and being and embracing change and being used to change so this sort of you kind of it was almost like you coupled that with like climate change and stuff and you're talking resilience yeah yeah yeah. 100% there's so much going on it's hard to keep track that it's all a bit terrifying but change is a good thing it's not necessarily a bad thing no and the other thing for me was what a fascinating conversation about where technology might actually go when he was talking about like the death of software and apps Mm. and the total way that you know information being created on the fly instead of searching for search engines disappearing previously all of that stuff so again what do what do we teach young people it's not it's not not like how to use excel anymore right (laughs) do you know what i mean all these things are going out the window but also close one door open another this is the biggest takeaway isn't it it's like your mind your little like your neurons are firing in all different directions going i need to think about this you know and it's it's got real implications for education for us you know as professionals for how we teach kids for parents and for the kind of skills that children need to just pick up and go with tech and get used to change i'm not sure that young people are always ready for managing change i don't know (laughs) whenever i hear about like my grandparents talking about technology they're also terrified of it and i'm just as scared of this myself because it is so it's all transitional yeah it's so different and i grew up with all this kind of stuff and it's still i'm not 100 percent certain so when it comes to things like educators i can imagine it's very daunting but from what ken said it sounds like it's such a benefit for educators to start using ai to decrease their workloads in certain areas oh the marking thing yeah yeah that example that he gave classroom plans and everything i never realized you could do that and it sounds life-changing for so many teachers who already have so much on their plate and now this is just going to help them in that aspect and free up some more time i think it's i think it's great and i never thought of it in that way well there we go learn something new every day right I really hope this episode of Interface has been useful. Thanks so much for being with us. And thanks again, of course, to Ken and Ailish. Ken has mentioned some resources around all this stuff on offer from SWGFL. There are AI Hub and AI-based lessons. You can find those free downloads alongside all other brilliant resources on offer at SWGFL online. That's it for another edition of Interface. You will always find links in the show notes of these episodes to learn more about each topic please subscribe on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they're released. And please recommend us to a friend or fellow educator who you think would enjoy this podcast. You can find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both X or Twitter as it used to be called and Instagram. 
Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. It's produced by Dave Howard, with sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. Thank you.